Welcome to the Show for Stellenbosch sermon series. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our sermons are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Do be seated. I want the band not to go too far away. I'm going to see how quickly I can rush through this. I just sense that there's a, a real holiday damper on us this morning. Um, for some reason, it's like uh, some of us don't quite have reason to worship. And, uh, and that's fine. It happens sometimes. Sometimes we lose our focus. Sometimes we lose our fire. Um, but um, I'm really believing that um, we're going we're gonna to discover the Holy Spirit doing some, something special this morning. I've shared on what I've, uh, I'm going to be sharing on this morning. I think it was the evening, and I haven't been here for three months, so it's been months ago, I know. Um, but go with me to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 which is in the Bible. It's, it's in the Old Testament. But to you, fear my name. The Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. There's a great deal of emphasis on, uh, on healings and on miracles today, and I, I do believe it's of the Lord, but uh, I do believe it's mostly misguided um, because the focus is so wrong. And I can tell you, what my concerns are, um, there, there's such an inordinate focus on, on our desire and our faith and our focus on Christ to do healing. Um, and I think we're missing Christ in the, in the process. Christ did a lot of healing, but Christ didn't come to the earth to do healing. Christ did a lot of miracles, but he didn't come to the earth to, to work miracles. And, uh, and I wish I could say that every day, all the time. And, and healings and miracles are important, but they're not all important to God. And yet, Christ is the healer because he's the expression of his Father who's the creator. And so there's a desire in the heart of God to restore. But the focus on healing, as, as we have it in charismatic circles today, is, is a little bit shaky because it focuses so much on the material, on the physical, because of, of our being so tied into the material world, and, and that is a problem. Um, and so, you know, especially in, in first world countries, and I'm referencing America today, where life has become so cosmetic and what you look like and, and not to grow old is, is growing old is, is about the biggest crisis that the church has. So it works so hard at being sexy and youthful and all the rest. And I think we've just got to keep that in the rest of our minds. It is, uh, it's not cool to be old, it's not cool to be gray, it's not cool to be wise, it's cool to be young, and church has to be young and sexy, and, and we, we dance and we jump around, and all of that is fine, but we, we run the danger of missing God in the process. Because God's focus on healing is all about restoration, restoration to the original blueprint, the original plan, and many times, the healing that we look for, which, which has... Many times more of a, uh, a cosmetic motivation. And, and yeah, I think of people who get so excited about apparently getting gold teeth and things from God. And uh, forgive my frankness, it, it really bugs me. Um, I didn't see Christ do that in his earthly ministry. But the, 
biblical idea of healing, the Greek word sozo is a big one because it's all encompassing and it, the closest we can get to that these days is, is the new age idea of holistic healing, which means let's look at the whole person. Let's look at the healing of the heart. Let's look at the healing of the inner world. And, and I believe that God's healing starts even deeper than that. And that's why Christ came. Christ firstly came to heal our relationship with the Father and all other healing flows from that. But if that's not the thrust and the focus of our healing message, then we're missing God. And all other healings will flow from that. I think I've shared this last year, but I met two ladies in Scotland. The one's a medical doctor and the, uh, the other one, I don't know what she was, but they were in wheelchairs with multiple sclerosis and, and the one lady, especially the worst degree and, and kind of multiple sclerosis. And both of them are perfectly healed now, completely whole. But their testimony is so powerful. They said, nobody prayed for our healing. Nobody prayed for our multiple sclerosis. That was not the focus. The focus was on just getting our hearts whole. And once God brought healing to the heart, the rest followed suit and not long afterwards. And it was a process, but not a process of years. It was just weeks and, and months at max. Three months, but massive miracles, but total, complete healing. No relapses, no, no s- symptoms that, that resurfaced, nothing like that. But the focus, I believe, was, was more in line with what God wants. God wants to heal the person more than he wants to heal the body of the person. God wants to heal the person more, he wants, more than he wants to heal the body and the budget of the person. The purse. Because the healing of the person, healing of the body is so closely aligned with where the charismatic church is is at nowadays. And, And it's not that God is not concerned. It's not that he's interested. But God is an eternal God and he's a holy God. And God will never walk away from his purpose. And his purpose was to establish mankind to reflect him. And there lies our problem. God is not a man. God is spirit. And so there's an area of healing and restoration that God wants to bring that is essentially spiritual, but it comes down to the root of our wellness and our wholeness as per God's definition. So let's look at some of this this morning. I'm going to just maybe touch on, I've got so much to share. It's actually something that that I share at our... um, Leadership weekends, but I know many of us can't get there, and I think we, it'll be nice if we just became part of the conversation. Let's read two more scriptures before we continue. Romans 8 verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And then Matthew 5 verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I believe it's important that we understand that, that about the Father's focus. Christ came to reveal God as not God, as uh, not a, as some ethereal out there being. He called him Father, Abba. He says, that's my dad and I'm his son. And the offer of salvation I have for you is it's an amazing offer. I'm wanting to share my sonship with you. I'm wanting you to have the same relationship that I have with the Father. I want you to have it. I'm willing to share it. I'm not selfish. And, and that's what makes salvation so amazing. Um, I don't know if, if uh, there are many kids here from families where you're the only child. Any, any single kids here? 
kids from uh, families with only one child? Oh, we've all had siblings. Okay, so you won't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, if, um, if, if you've been an only child for eight years, nine years, or 11 years, 12 years, and, and, and suddenly little baby arrives, it, it could become an issue, isn't it? Because now suddenly you've got to share attention and affection that you've taken for granted for so long. Imagine having had that status in eternity, and now you arrive, you're on this little planet, and I've got to share with all these people around here. And it's an offer that's opened up to whosoever. In other words, any yo-yo that decides that he wants to have a, or she wants to have a relationship with the Father may, but that'll impinge, that'll impact on my state as a son of God with God. Now, now that's what makes salvation so amazing. So, coming back to this theme and the fact that God wants to restore that particular kind of relationship. It's, it's not like I'm a friend of God and all that stuff. Um, I have problems with, with that too in, in terms of its, its modern understanding. But there's a specific relationship with God as Father that, that we need to rediscover. And then Scripture says in the New Testament... That the whole of the created order, the whole environment, the whole cosmos, the whole world is waiting for this restoration of this understanding and the substance of this relationship. It's waiting for sonship, understanding of sonship. The fact that Christ was willing to share his intimacy, his authority, his status in a relational sense with the Father, with us, universally. That's awesome. I don't know about you, but if I was sitting there, I'd say amen sometime or do something. (laughs) <laughs> it's just amazing. And, and then Christ goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go back to that in just a second. But he said, there comes a time when the whole world universally will recognize that we are in fact in that relationship with the Father, that we are in fact sons of God. And he says that happens at the moment when we discover our calling and our news, our capacity, our sovereign, it's, it's a sovereign endowment that God gives us. We alone as Christians, as believers, have this endowment, this, this very element, this, this one characteristic that makes us look like Christ, that makes us look like we have the same connection with, this, with the Father. And it, it's this idea of sonship in Christ is the defining characteristic is that of the ability to work reconciliation, to be a peacemaker. And so I believe our challenge is to understand that that God wants to heal, but God's healing starts right here with with us understanding that God wants us to move beyond just, just having a desire and an understanding that supernaturally we can do that. We can be peacemakers. But then also to commit ourselves to growing up in our sonship, to getting some idea of of what the skills and the tools are that Christ would be referring to. And I really enjoy what Christ says. Christ doesn't say the peacemakers will be sons of God. He says the peacemakers will be called sons of God. In other words, it refers to some kind of reputation, some kind of affirmation that comes to us by way of a reputation we have. People will say, you are sons of God. The world will recognize that we have that relationship with God because of two things. Our focus, our priority in this area, 
and our ability in this area. It will be undeniable. And, and all of us have watched in horror this week as uh, we saw on social media the columns of smoke rising from Pretoria. And it's pretty much been that case all over the country. The fact is that South Africa is, is teetering on the brink of just a big explosion. The rest of Africa is not far away. Europe is not far away. Britain today is not far away. America is not far away. The world has never been in a place where there's so much internecine, so much brother against brother strife all, against the, uh, all over the world. Not just the Middle East. For a long time it was just the Middle East where the Semitic people, the, the Arabs and the Jews are at each other's throats and, and uh, there's ongoing tension. Now it's all across the world. I don't know if, if you've had this experience, but you walk into a restaurant lately, I've never been self-conscious. I've just been too arrogant all my life. So I don't really notice when people notice me, look at me. Lately, I can't but miss it. You walk into a restaurant and, and you realize that there's a, a certain unease, there's a certain awkwardness, and nothing's happened. And, and I believe a lot of people are experiencing that all across the world. There's not only growing fear of each other, but there's growing antipathy, a growing hostility. And if you as a believer are aware of this, I, I think you'd begin to realize that a lot of what is happening is supernatural. It's being supernaturally fueled. And I tell you, if there's not an intervention, I believe there's an intervention. You saw what happened in England this week. It's most probably the most historic thing that has happened this century so far. Um, I know some of you don't know what I'm talking about, okay? England overwhelmingly decided to leave the European Union, except that those people who were strongly convicted that they should leave were too lazy to go and vote. That's the young people. <laughs> the older people that decided to stay, they came out en masse, and they decided that England needs to be England again and not part of the European Union, so the decision is final. Um, England will leave the European Union. And so now, England's in for rough days because the powers that be, the people that are working around the clock to move the world away from democratic principle and process um, aren't going to take this lightly. They're going to start to punish England in every which way they can, and it's already started. So... Yeah, it sounds bad, but I really believe God is, God is in this. I believe that people in England have been praying. And I'm going to say what I'm saying now very carefully. I believe that all the elections all around the world are rigged. You needn't believe it. I believe it. I believe that the agenda to get the world united is, is so crucial. And, um, and they missed one. They missed one in the UK, which is the big miracle. And that's because of prayer. So the good news I'm trying to share is that there, there are peacemakers that are beginning to get up, that are beginning to make their presence felt. And supernatural things are about to happen. I believe we're heading for a, like a 15-year window. I could be wrong about the duration. But there's a window of harvest. There's a window of, of peace. 
And it's not going to be complete peace. It's not going to be political peace. But it's going to be peace in which believers will get an opportunity to demonstrate and proclaim the message of Christ in a way that we have not seen. And we're going to see a response to this. We're sitting on the eve of the greatest move of God that we've seen since the book of Pentecost. And you must excuse my excitement. I have spent months now just traveling around, and that's why I am very keen to see us get with the program because God is doing the most awesome stuff everywhere. Um, just come from Namibia now, and I and had such fun talking to see us going to the men's camp because he could pick it up last year already. It's, it's like the Holy Spirit's hovering over the entire nation and... It's like somebody is, is just has to light a match, and the, the match is that spoken word of Christ as in Genesis chapter 1, where God says, let there be light in life. We're about to see God doing something so awesome. The whole place is just pregnant with the presence of God. You drive between Vintuk and Swakop, and along the road, there'd be a, just a group of random old ladies standing next to a car, holding hands, just praying. And they're ladies of different colors, just having an afternoon in the middle of the desert, just I haven't had an open heaven experience like that in 32 years. But I mean, the same goes for Malawi, where it was before that, and the same goes for Canada, where it was a little while ago. But it's a very exciting time that we've come to. God is ready to move, and I, I, I do believe that we need to understand something of what our role is going to be in all of it. What, what is our calling? What does God want from us? So, Let's go back to Matthew 5. So right in the beginning, Christ says, we're going to be called sons of God. So it's like he's coming back to the theme. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and and there remember that your brother has any grievance against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First make peace with your brother and then come back and present your gift. I remember talking about that here. But let me focus your attention just on this. If I am here doing what I'm doing this morning. I'm coming to present my gift. I'm coming to make my contribution. Think of, of the gift as, as your contribution, your spiritual, your social, your emotional, whatever contribution you make. But it's something that you bring to God. It's something that you do for God. It's something sacred, something holy, something really dear to you. And God says, in doing that, if you there remember now, I don't know of anybody who's that holy who can prepare to make your, your speech, even if before school as a headmaster on a Monday morning, but you fulfilling your calling and, and you doing what God has called you to do. And you there remember that somebody, somebody's freaked out with you. You know, it, it doesn't happen naturally. And, and to my mind, it speaks of living in a place where the Holy Spirit has access to us in, in a most amazing way. They remember. And then comes the most important thing. Then Christ says, doesn't matter how important what you're doing is. Just remember what I want from you. I want you to pause right there. I want you to leave it right there and go. Which, now I know how some of your heads are working. Um, we good Calvinists, our heads work very literally. Which means you're saying so. You mean that that headmistress or Fred, where you're standing right now, you must drop the microphone and and leave us all sitting here and fix that? (laughs) No, that's not what Christ is saying. 
Christ is speaking about the primacy of the issue, of, of it being a priority with God. And what Christ is saying, more important than any contribution you can make spiritually or morally, is the fact that the whole issue of conciliation, okay, the, the word that is, is more well-known is the one reconciliation, which is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, you can only have reconciliation once there's been conciliation. And a lot of the times there was never conciliation. And think of it like this. It, if, if two people are standing screaming at each other across a massive chasm, for those of you who have ever seen the, the huge um, Grand Canyon, it's just overwhelming, it's massive. But you say you're standing on this side and there's somebody standing way on the other side and you're screaming at each other and hoping that given all the echoing and stuff going on, you're going to be hearing each other and understanding each other. Um, conciliation is the ability to build a bridge so we can meet each other halfway and have a decent conversation. Reconciliation is what happens if that bridge has been blown up and we come to rebuild the bridge. That's reconciliation. So when, when Christ says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's, he's speaking about us having an amazing ability to build bridges first. And then after having built the bridge, where we have the strength and the willingness to walk across that bridge to meet somebody, and, and sometimes more than halfway, just as long as we meet somewhere, so we can talk. So we can come to some kind of understanding. And so that brings us to the difficult bit. Most of the men in this room would agree with me that, that we are champions at peacekeeping. Peacekeeping means uh, we can tell ourselves in the world that everything's fine, there isn't a problem. You may say there's a problem, but who are you? I'm the one to decide if life's good. And I say life's good, and if life's good, life's good. Okay, you can be throwing a tantrum, you can be crying, weeping, but I say it's, it's all fine because I want it to be fine. Peacemaking is, is something that comes naturally. And then on the other extreme, there's the peace wrecker that uh, hypothetical jihadi who walks around with a, uh, with a bomber's vest on all the time, holding to that little string, threatening to blow him or herself up if they don't get their way. If I don't get my way, we all die here today. And we all go down together. There are going to be no winners in this fight. Peace wreckers. People who just, go for, who just go for broke and for whom life is one long fight of survival, a long series of attritional battles. And so there are a few things that we just need to talk about. The, the first one is the peacemaker's commitment to indifference. You know, denial, there, there isn't an issue, there isn't a problem, I'm walking to this place and I've sat, sat down at the table and there's a vibe going on but uh, I don't want to know about it because I've got this uncanny ability to just tune out all the negative stuff and just focus on what I think is, is, a, is my happy place. Christ tells a story about this man who gets to heaven, it's just a parable and, and uh, the man gets asked, well, 
uh, do you think you should be here? Y- yes, I think you should be here. But the question comes to him now. Um, you're a wealthy man down there, and at your gate, there's a chap lying every day. And uh, you've never noticed the man? The rich man says, no, I've never noticed him. And uh, I've got good news for the accountants in the room. God is a statistician. He keeps record. So this poor wealthy man would get confronted by stats. By how many times he's exited and ingressed, went in and out of his gate. And how many times he didn't see that man. And how absolutely impossible it was not to see the man. Then the question would come down to, okay, so the reason why he didn't see the man is because he didn't want to see the man you were pretending, really. Because you noticed him, but you didn't want to notice him. It, it was a decision on your part. And then the man says, but okay, okay, I'm guilty. But my, my sons are just like me, and, and they're going to make the same mistake. Because we are, we are just raised like that. We socialize like that. We, we just focus people. Can't you send an angel down to help them? And, and the heavenly response is, no, no, no. We're not going to send angels. You should have raised them right. You should have raised them to remember, to notice, to see. And so our, our challenge as, as believers is a, is a very tough one. Because the opposite of indifference is not sensitivity. You know, some, some people become hypersensitive and they walk around the world with this massive guilt complex and we've got to fix everything and notice everything. No, that, that's not the truth. The first challenge of the peacemaker, of the Son of God, is to ask God just on an ongoing basis. And I encourage you to do it just daily because God has, has his ways of doing it because he's doing it to a lot of us is to open up our eyes to see through the eyes of compassion. Because compassion, if compassion is to be understood as demonstrated by Christ, is all about the ability to see the world in a certain way. Scripture says in Christ, seeing the multitudes was moved with compassion. And then he healed them. The focus wasn't so much on the healing. The focus was on what happens in Christ's inner world. What happens in his heart. And, and how he reads his environment. Very differently to, to the rest of us. Christ is, is somebody who wept a lot. Christ is somebody who, who didn't live in a happy place. And so when Christ says to his followers, I want you to take up your cross to follow me, th- that, is, that is the most challenging demand ever made of mankind, ever, by anybody. Because the cross represents, just think of it like this, Christ hanging on a cross and dying the most horrid death. Okay, It represents the ultimate suffering and pain in human terms. So Christ says, I want you to take up your cross. I want you to have it so close to you, you're never going to get away from the awareness of pain in this world. So whenever you register any pain in your environment, you'd automatically be drawn to it. Not to manipulation, not to noise, not to distraction, not to vanity, not to entertainment. But when you're a peacemaker, your heart is attracted to, okay, okay, there's something happening over there. And now, this is where the remember part comes in. Christ says, if you come to the altar and there, remember. That's something supernatural that happens. That means the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And so compassion is something, you know, there's a lot of misdirected, false compassion in the world. You know, it's like, 
you go to Holland and, uh, and, and you watch the government sending like medical personnel around to help drug addicts get their next fixes. And if you want to commit suicide, the government helps you to commit suicide, get an overdose at, at one of those drug cafes, and the government makes sure you get buried and all that. That is misdirected compassion. Euthanasia is another manifestation of misdirected compassion. That is not compassion at all. That's stupidity. But Christ is the one who coined the phrase. If we want to know anything about compassion, please read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read it several times. Read it slowly. Read it prayerfully. Because that's one way of beginning to recover our sense of compassion. Because God sees certain things that we don't see. You know, young men, we, we, go, we go through life and... Um, and puberty is a, is, a, is a powerful time because an unveiling happens. Some, suddenly you become aware of the opposite sex. Girls are even more aware of the opposite sex. And it takes us a long time, especially these days, to get over our puberty. Because the world has been so sexualized, it's just un- unbelievable. We're aware of so many things that are just vain and sinful, plain sinful, and these are just plain perverse. I mean, now they're starting to sexualize with the core curriculum. They're starting to sexualize our kids at three, four years old already. And parents all across the world must be fine with that. We're not allowed to say anything. Otherwise, we're bigots. There's, there's a massive fight going on for the eye gate of humanity. So if we want to recover compassion, we've got to start praying for the unveiling, but also for the sanctifying of our eye gate. So many people say to me, you know, God never speaks to me and I never get a word of knowledge. You're not going to get any. Not by looking for a word of knowledge or by looking for God to help you with an egoistical desire to be able to make a contribution. That will come if we understand how badly God wants to speak with us about what he sees. Because the eyes of the, of, of the Father misses nothing. There's not a cry that goes up anywhere in the world and he does not hear. He sees that cry. He sees that heart. He sees that pain. He's attracted to that pain. And so when Christ says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, there's this picture that he has in his mind of a whole lot of people operating like he does. When he goes through life, he's God. He, he can discern the politics. Right from micro to macro. And then he understands all the nuances in between. He gets all of that. But he's not distracted by all of that. He understands all the dynamics, social and political of life. He, he gets all of that. Historical and cultural. And at the moment, there are voices crying out for our attention. I, I come across Christian believers who are looking around panicking at what is happening and we, we're trying to formulate solutions to how can we intervene, how can we fix it? And I believe Christ is just saying the same thing all the time. Blessed are the peacemakers. And the first step to peacemaking is, is walking, stepping away from indifference and into compassion. And you see, when you become aware of what Christ sees, And it's going to play out like this. You come to work, 
and you're sitting down, and somebody comes around and says, Allah, how are you? And you say, I'm fine. And then you say, how are you? And they say, fine. They walk on, and the Holy Spirit says, are you seeing what I'm seeing? They're lying. She's not fine. Go after her, ask her again. Can I ask you again, how are you? Fine. Not no, really, how are you? I really want to know. And then you'll see it. That furtive look. That freeze in the step, that turn around, that, that giving you that, you're bugging me right now, but uh, I cannot hide. And then there's this welling up of emotion and the walking away. And that's all, that's all Christ wants from you. He, he wants from you to see what's going, something's going on there. And then a peacemaker can begin to pursue that. You don't pursue the person, then you pursue God. You say, God, I saw that. Now, what, what do you want of me? What, what do I do about that? And then there are one of ten ways that you can respond. But at least you've come to the place where God wants you to be. He can have a conversation with you about what is on his heart. And that's why I really believe that, that God just wants us to move on from, and I know it's fashionable, I know it's cool, but I really believe in the name of Christ, we must stop it. Come here. To ask, is there something wrong with your back? Is there something wrong with your leg? Are your eyes okay? I want to pray for your eyes. I want to see healing in your body. Thanks so much. You see, when, when Christ is aware of that, but, but even when Christ comes across a blind man, do you know what, what Christ, Christ doesn't say, I see you blind, can I fix your blindness? I need for people to see that I can fix blindness. He never does that. Do you know what he does? He says, blind man, what would you have me do for you? How can I serve you? How can I be there for you? But you tell me. You tell me. But a willingness to see, a willingness to have a conversation with God and then a conversation with the person Denial is the one problem. The second one is, is that of minimizing, which works like this. Somebody comes to you as a pastor and says, I've got a problem. You say, what? They say, well, I have this uh, problem with smoking. You say, okay. Um, what, what, do, what do you smoke? Cigarettes? Uh, marijuana? Or what, what? No, no, it's just cigarettes. Just, just little. No, it's, it's not a biggie. And then obviously, I've got a problem. Because if it were a little problem, he wouldn't come to see me. If it were a little problem, he'd just stop smoking. The fact that he comes to see me means it's a big problem. But it also means it's not the problem. So then, then I've got to help him with the truth. Then I've got to say, well, we, we do have a problem here, but it's not your smoking, it's your lying. Because you see, half the truth is a lie. You're saying you've got a small problem, but, but if it were a small problem, we wouldn't have this conversation now, would we? You wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't have taken the time and the trouble to come see me, 
to take my time, to take your time, because it's more time for you. You've got to come and go, I'm just sitting here waiting for you. To talk about a problem you don't have. But, but can, I, can I tell you what, what the issue here is? The, the issue here is not your smoking. The issue here would be your sugar addiction, would your, be pornography and your gossiping. There's a whole lot of addictive issues happening in your life. Because if you're doing it well with one, you'll be doing it with several. And that's why you're actually coming to me. There's a massive problem going on here. But we're not going to get that fixed until we deal with what's really going on in your life. You need to learn to be honest with yourself. You need to learn to be honest. And once we've got that fixed, then God can help you with all those things. Because God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. You can begin to walk away from all those things. But we're going to be talking about a whole plethora of stuff bugging you in your life and bugging the people around you. We could start with your cycling. Okay, you started cycling, then it was for health. But, but tell me how many hours do you spend cycling? How many kilometers? Let's talk about this obsession. And, and what did this obsession replace? What, what was it before this? Let's, let's look at your checkered history of your life. Then let's look at your budget. How much of your budget do you spend on that stupid bicycle? And you know, we have so many people like this in the body of Jesus Christ saying, um, I, I really love the Lord and I, I really want to see the kingdom come, but unfortunately I can't come to the conference. Do you know that it costs 350 rands? And then you know how cheesed of God becomes because you aren't talking about the 25 Gs you're spending on, on just cycling in the August. Many times it's one, one of two such events you do per year. And it's not about the money, it's about the patterns in our lives. It's about the fact that we're lying, we're not honest with ourselves. There's nothing wrong with cycling or running or whatever, but there's everything wrong with this obsessive behavior that is in our lives because we're not dealing honestly with ourselves. Now, if the Holy Spirit's going to have a conversation with me about stuff, it's going to be an honest one or nothing. And so again, when people come to me and say, well, I don't hear from the Lord, it's, it's, it's actually a biggie. It's actually a biggie because we need to talk about why would the Holy Spirit not want to talk to you? Would it be because he doesn't want to or because maybe you're not responsive or receptive? But God so loves the world and, and any lover wants to communicate. Any lover wants to speak, isn't that so? Any lover is constantly reaching out. So we, we need to speak about your inability or your unwillingness to require just to respond to that love. Then it's another conversation. But, but to think that, that to have intimacy with God has all about being spooky spiritual is nonsense. It's just about moving to the space that God occupies God is love, and God occupies the space of compassion. God occupies the space of caring. And he cares about you, and he wants to talk about you and, and, and the things concerning you. But this, this nonsense, this new age from the pit of hell nonsense that God's love is unconditional, we must so move away from that and not ever, ever say that or have anybody talk that nonsense around us. God's love is unilateral. He loves the world, yes, and he makes the offer of love to everybody. But that offer of love has a purpose. 
Love is a lot of nonsense if, if it does not lead to relationship. Can somebody say amen? So this nonsense that God loves me so much that I can live outside of relationship with him and keep taking him for granted. Con- unconditional love. If somebody says you must love me unconditionally, look him or her in the eye and say you are an abuser. Because you're seeking the right to have an abusive relationship with me. Well, I've got to be happy with all of your selfishness. And that's what mankind is saying to and about God. His love is supposedly unconditional. It's not. It's very conditional. And the first condition is there cannot be a relationship without a response. And it's got to be a willing response. Otherwise, it's it's abuse. You know, if I walk into your life and say, I want a relationship, I want you for my wife, um, there are a couple of ways to do it. But the one way not to do it is by buying yourself one of those vans with the sliding doors, a combi. And by pulling up alongside the lady, dragging her into the, the van and closing the door and saying, now we have a relationship. Now we're on this journey together. What's wrong with that scenario? It's coercion, it's force, it's, it's terrible. Even though you haven't touched the gold, you've you just violated it in the most deep sense that you can. You've not even bothered to have a conversation with her. So there's this madness going on in the world right now, and it's so from the devil, and I, I, it boggles my mind that Christians are even preaching this or running around with it. When right from Genesis chapter 1, God says, this is my heart, I'm one. But you must move into my space. I cannot have a relationship with you when you're in that space. Move into my space, but my love goes to find you where you are and invites you to move into my space. You know, there's a grace message right now that is so dreadful, I wish I can speak about it and against it every week. And basically it amounts to this. That the incarnation happened, it was very cool, and then Christ went to the cross and it was very cool. Unfortunately, it's not enough. What we want is for Christ to get off that cross and come to where we are right now because we're not going to the cross. And so now we have a gospel preached without the cross in the middle of it. We don't talk about pain. We don't talk about the blessedness of pain. We don't talk about the blessed as a mourning, which is the result of pain and loss. And Christ says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you when you go through stuff. And, and at the moment, I, I can tell you, God is causing believers all across the world. It's so nice to interact with them all over the place. It's the same story. It's like the story of Joseph. The most wretched pain and betrayal everywhere. And then you get sold. And then you become a slave. You lose all control of your circumstances. And, and then it's like, you're in prison. You've got these constricting circumstances. But you've got to remain sweet and forgiving and faithful. And you've got to keep serving with the gift that God has given you. And the only thing that you have in your life is the fact that you have a relationship with the Father. And He actually talks to you. But He doesn't send angels to deliver you from this prison. The whole body of Christ is there right now. And the purpose is very simple. God just wants us to come to the place. Man, I, I just received this word when I was uh, in Scotland two years ago now. But, 
and, and then I got this word from the Old Testament where Jacob prophesies over Joseph. And so I've been meditating on that and praying around that. And then one evening in London, there's uh, ministry happening in, in the one place. And I walked over to where the kiddies were. Um, and they were in a dark room. They were watching a Disney video. And I went to sit down against the wall at the back. And uh, I had such a massive moment with God there. I walked in just as Joseph is confronted by his brothers. And now he's wrestling with the thought of, of making his identity known to them, that he's not actually a pharaoh kind of chap. He's actually just a Jewish boy dressed up like a pharaoh. Um, and they're on their knees. They, they're begging him for mercy because he's been giving them a rough time. And then in the movie, Joseph turns on his heel. He walks back into his palace where his uh, Egyptian wife waits for him. And she says, my man, you know you're wrong to harden your heart right now. You must let that anger go toward your brothers. You must forgive them. They're desperate and they need you right now. And this is why God has brought you to where you are now. So you can love them and be there for them and bless them and forgive them. And I sat there just weeping and weeping and weeping. I, I'd, never, I'd never seen Joseph's conflict like that. Which brings me to the last thing I want to share this morning. We've been conditioned to understand that confrontation is bad. That we avoid confrontation. Verbal confrontation at any cost. Because as soon as there's confrontation, it means it's the end. It's all over. And many of us come from a situation where we've seen so much confrontation that leads to conflict, and it, it, it's all left hanging, unresolved, and sometimes it goes further, it just becomes destructive, and, and when that thing has run its course, there's nothing left. And there's nothing that we're more afraid of than confrontation. And so now we've got lots of young people in the world today that have fantasies about a life. A life of love and happiness, which unfortunately predicates relationship. There's got to be a relationship from which those flow, but we're so afraid of relationship. So now all across the world, inside the church and outside the church, you've got such a massive population of very adult, 20-something, 30-something, 40-something males who just cannot commit. They won't. Not because they're evil or bad. They're just paralytics emotionally. And then you've got a whole lot of women. And, and then outside of that, you get people that are so damaged, people that are so broken, people that don't even know if they're men or women anymore. Now it's fashionable to be uh, binary neutral or fluid. I'm not going to explain to you what that means. But a lot of damage all across the world. A whole generation so stuck in a place. But the one thing that they all have in common is an unhealthy relationship with confrontation. And again, if we want to get out of this place, I'd encourage you to do something very simple. 
sit down, pray, say, Holy Spirit, I really need to see Jesus. I, I need to see him do life. Then you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do it several times. Some of you are not going to have your lives turned around until you do it for 40 days. You need to see Christ. Not have me or somebody else tell you about him. You need to have the Holy Spirit show you Lord Jesus Christ. But you're going you're gonna to watch him. It's just beautiful watching Christ. I was for years so uncomfortable with this aspect of Christ. I need you again. Amen. But Peter, Peter has taken upon himself to give Christ some advice. And Christ turns around and says, Satan, listen, get behind me. You hear me. And Peter, if that happens again, you're going to be in trouble. Okay. And then life goes on. Now picture this. Somebody comes up, brings a prophetic word in church. Whoever's in charge of the service gets up and says, Honey, you know that wasn't the Holy Spirit. You know that was a demon speaking. We don't do demons here. <laughs> Can I tell you we're going into a time when that's going to become quite common? And the girl will survive and we will survive and it won't happen for the next three weeks in church ever again. <laughs> I come into situations, people, where... I mean, can I tell you how bad we've become? Maybe I shouldn't tell you about my experience. I'll tell you about something I've read. I read an article by a very, very frustrated pediatrician. But... Um, He's a uh, surgeon. He's a pediatric surgeon. And he talks about dealing with an emergency involving a two-year-old girl. But now the mother's asking him to wait before any intervention happens because we need the permission of the two-and-a-half-year-old girl for him to touch her. And so the mother's trying to extract just a yes, just consent from the girl, which gets denied. So mother says to surgeon, nothing's going to happen today because she doesn't agree. And so the man says, as, as an American physician, I, I don't know what to do anymore because I cannot do my job. I'm being culturally hijacked by stupidity. Mothers who won't let me touch the children because children apparently have been elevated to the place of having final authority in that relationship and within the family. Or a retired teacher from England says he resigned at university because he resigned from school because he's not allowed to correct students at university for bad grammar. But he lectures in the English language. Because it's damaging to their feelings. And he decided to go into university to leave school because at school, the school where he was teaching at, there was no longer teachers and there was no longer headmaster. They were all learners. They were given new titles, the teachers and the headmaster. They're all fellow learners with the kids. Because hierarchy is not allowed. It's not cool anymore. It's got to be totally 
egalitarian. There's got to be absolute equality between the adults and the kids. That's the madness of the lawlessness we have today. But that's the context in which we live. And, you know, if, if what I was talking about was extreme, it would be fine. But we're talking about mainstream today. The media backs that mother. Our salt and light has been so diminished, it's not like we don't have journalists, we don't have any voice out there that comes up with any reason. Our teachers at school are so quiet because they, they shy away from confrontation because if I become confrontational, well, I'm, I'm going to get persecuted and, and this is not what I signed up for for Christ and following Christ. And so the madness continues. I, I tell you, if we have not come to this place where God is about to show up and to manifest himself, we would have been months away from the Antichrist manifesting and taking over the world right now. Some of you aren't following. I, I happen to be following quite acutely what's happening all around the world at the moment. But, but we've come to such a telling moment in history right now. And God is about to open up a window in which sanity is going to prevail by the power of the Holy Spirit. The peacemakers are people who are not afraid. We understand that to confront doesn't mean I throw my love away, I throw my decency or my courtesy away. On the contrary. I become more loving, more decent, more courteous. But entirely unremitting. And all I seek is an audience in which I can say what needs to be said without any anger. And when I confront, my job is not to manipulate. In other words, it's not for me to change your mind, to change your stance, or to knock you to the ground. I'm a son of God. I'm aware of the fact that I'm always backed by the Holy Spirit. So once I've shared the truth... I can shake your hand, smile, give you a hug, walk away, even though you still 100% disagree with me. But I've sowed the seed that the Holy Spirit will begin to work on. And if you're like Joseph, it takes more than 17 years for that seed that you've sown into your brother's heart right in the beginning to come to fruition. But eventually, somewhere in Egypt, on their knees, they look up. And you can say, remember the dream that I shared with you? Well, this is it, yeah. I'm your brother. I tell you, it all bow before me. It's happening. But it's all good. Love you. How can I help you? Sons of God stand up to say what needs to be said. Sons of God stand up and say what the Holy Spirit once said, what Scripture once said, but we don't make it personal. And once I've... Dropped it, I can leave it there and walk away and not worry about it again. Can somebody say amen? But you know where the big problem lies? There's a bigger problem than, than confrontation. It's the whole area of conflict. And Christians are not meant to engage in relational conflict. You see, I can't have you come to me all the time. What is your name? Charles. 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 You see, Charles and I, we, we've got a spat, and now I'm needing to share some stuff with Charles, and Charles is giving me all the vibes in the world, but 
I just need to start a conversation. So I'll share with Charles what I need to share. And then Charles has all the right to come back to me. And then I receive everything that he's got to say. And I need to agree or disagree, but I can listen. And I'll say to Charles, Charles, I hear you. And I trust that you hear me. Okay, thanks, man. Love you. Thanks for sharing with me. Thanks for listening to me. That's it. Many times if I push it beyond that, then I'm entering into conflict. And believers, Christ didn't come to judge the world. In other words, he didn't come to scream us into submission. We're not not here to bring people into submission to what is right or to to our opinion. We're here to experience how God is a shield round about us. He's the glory and the lifter of aids. In other words, he vindicates us. When we move and we stand in obedience, we say what needs to be said, all of heaven comes to do the follow-up. I talked to a young man right in the beginning when, when God started giving me instruction about what needs to happen here. young man comes to see me one day. And um, he's a very confident, cocksure young man. And he gives me his old pedigree, his whole Africana pedigree and everything. And he's a very intellectually astute young man. Tells me about all his achievements at school, at university. And, and then he, he tells me about his, uh, his status spiritually. Shares it all with me. And um, so obviously at the end of all that, I, I said, listen, you do know you've got a problem. When you come to Christ, you've got to... You've got to count all of that as rubbish, as dung, as uh, menstrual cloth. You, you, you do know. And I took him to the scripture in Philippians chapter 3 and he swallowed hard. But that was all I needed to do. I confronted him with the truth. I said, you're exactly like the Apostle Paul and that's very cool. But uh, now God wants you to lay all that down so he can save you because you're not saved. But you know, as, as he left, I knew that God wants him because he was in another church. God wants him with us. So I prayed. I said, God, he so desperately needs to have contact with you. He so needs for you to speak to him. Won't you appear to him in a dream and tell him that what I said to him is what he needs to know? Six months later, the young man is back, and he's very upset. (laughs) He says, this is when I left you. I had my greatest desire in my life ever. I always wanted to see God or hear from God. And God appeared to me in a dream twice. <laughs> he says, but it, it, it's <clears throat> such a problem, he says. I said, why? He says, because God said for me, I want you to follow me. And to begin with, I want you to go to Shofar Church and join them. And then he thought, that can't be God, because God will never say something like that. Never, not to him, because he was a racist as well, you know. And at the beginning of the six months, at the end of the six months, God came back with the same dream. But was God? I can tell you lots of stories, but people, the great thing is that all of heaven stands ready to back up. Sons of God, Louis is not here this morning, but I remember having coffee with, with Louis' neighbor a while ago. And, and Louis is a young man in church who, along with Werner, who was playing the drums this morning, got a very weird, weird word from God in their morning prayers. The company here in Stellenbosch that they were part of was about to close down, 
And they got a word from God that they're not to leave the company. Everybody was taking retrenchments, packages. They shouldn't. They should stay on. And they decided to do it together. And uh, Louis said he thought it was going to be for two months, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Ended up being five years. (laughs) Having to trust the Lord. But now the neighbor comes to me and says, you know, when Louis was going through that thing, he he just had this, this moment where he realized that he now knows what's wrong with Shofar and everybody there. They're all a little bit loopy. And so now he took it on himself to mobilize people, to put pressure on Louis, to get him to, to bend and to break. But now after five years, Louis turned out to be right. Everything that Louis had said would happen, would happen, happened. And so now this young man tells me, now I've got a problem. Because I was so sure about Louis and about his situation, about you guys. But now I realize my whole life was based on that. And if, if I was wrong about that, I'm wrong about everything in my life. Everything. So now I've come to you. I've got a long list that I'm working through of people that I'm just coming to say sorry to. I, I was an idiot. I, I, I come to repent. Please forgive me. And it was great seeing God just starting all over with that man in his life. But people... God is looking for sons of God who would be peacemakers. And when we, when we stand up, God will back us up. But there's just one condition. That we do deal with conflict. And it's inner conflict. And that stays with us for a long time. The Apostle Paul was an apostle already and he spent three chapters speaking about his own battle. Inner battle. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. In Romans chapter 7, he says, people, I've, I've got such an ongoing struggle, you have no idea. Because I'm conflicted, you see. Th- there's stuff that I want to do, I just don't end up doing it. I do up the stuff, I, do, I end up doing the stuff that I so hate. And, and I can't understand it. I, I'm, I'm conflicted. And this is the biggest obstacle to sonship. We cannot speak from a place of authority if we have not come to that place of resolving inner conflict. In the whole of Romans chapter 8 that deals with sonship is Paul's understanding of how he mastered inner conflict. He says at the end of chapter 7, I, I thank God through Christ Jesus for helping me. And then in the beginning of chapter 8, First verse, he deals with the issue of false guilt, of accusation, of condemnation. He says, I've had to make a piece of the fact that I need to deal in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with the negatives that afflict me in my mind, in my inner world. All those things that tell me why I shouldn't, couldn't, may not, make a stand for God, take that step, Make the claim that I'm actually a son of God. All those things I need to deal with by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the answer to that one is is quite simple. I know a lot of people all across the world are doing this and I encourage you to do it. But if you don't have an alternative, do it on your own. But break bread often. 
and declare the sufficiency of the shed blood of Christ. That's the only reason why I have the nerve to say that I'm a son of God. I remember standing on on some stage in, in the middle 80s before crowds in Scandinavia. And you don't have time to preach there because you've just got a few seconds, sometimes a few minutes to share something. And then, then I discovered a trick. I'd stand there dead quiet and just look at the people. And what I'd be doing is, is, is I'm releasing my peace. Christ said to the 70, when you come to a place, release your peace. We can do that. Sons of God can do that, by the way. Because it's a peace that we enter into when we move beyond this place of inner conflict. And then I do this. I would say to people, I know God. And be quiet again. And then the conviction of the Holy Spirit starts. We're going to see God do the most astounding things in the days to come. We're going to go into places of darkness where we never thought, but here's, here's the biggest area of conflict that God is bringing me to. I believe us to. Christ says, when you come to the altar and there remember, leave your gift. Forget your gift. It's, it's about the, re, the conflict. The biggest conflict that we have is about the relationship with our ego needs. Our need to be significant. Our need to make a contribution. Our need to count for something. And the most liberating place in Christ is to come to where the Apostle Paul came to. I love Galatians 5, verse 1. He says, if somebody thinks that he's something when he's nothing, Oh my gosh, that, that is not Western modern language. We, we don't talk in those terms. How can you be a nothing? You can't have a relationship with Christ and not be a nothing. I know I'm not going to get amens here this morning because it runs against everything that we've been conditioned to believe the gospel is all about. To have authority in God means I'm willing to deal with my inner conflict. All those inner needs, all those voices that keep shouting at you, all, all those 20 reasons that leaves you semi-offended in any situation because I wasn't heard, I wasn't known, I wasn't recognized, I wasn't acknowledged. God will allow, the, God is piling it on at the moment. At the moment, more than 80% of the church Born-again, spiritual believers sit outside the church on a Sunday morning because they will not embrace the gospel as preached by Christ, which is all about the cross. It's about our embracing our total nothingness. Somebody please say amen. Just one person. And to walk away from this, this extension of the American cultural dream of Becoming my own man and a self-made man and a man in Christ and a son. All that nonsense. It's not the gospel. And there's some people in this place that must go home and burn your little grace books by all these little grace teachers with the makeup on. Excuse my being facetious. I'm being deliberate. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him.
about him. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my gift. He doesn't need my contribution. He doesn't need my skill. It's not like he doesn't need me. He does not need humanity at all. His problem is that he loves us. And he so wants to accommodate us. He so wants to make room for us. The father's like the parents who's got four kids and all of them are black sheep. And he's got this massive estate. He's got a problem. What is he going to do with it? He's got to leave it to somebody. You know which of those kids get to be trusted? It's the prodigal son who comes back and says, Dad, I got it. I'm a nothing. I'm not even worthy to be a slave in this place. I get it. I, I, I just didn't realize how amazing you were. Amazing the gift. And, and how incredibly insignificant. I am. I, I, I didn't get that before. Can we stand this morning? I believe that God wants us to pray with people this morning that are sitting here with with real pain. People who feel like you've given, I've given 20 years of my life to my kids. I've given 30 years of my life to my wife or to my husband. I've given 40 years of my life to this job. I've given 10 years of my life to this church or whatever. The brokenness and the bruises and the pain of modern people just have no depth. I mean, it's so deep you cannot plummet it. It's just massive, massive, this massive, oozy mess of pain. And it's right into this big, 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 ugly wound that Christ comes and says, I've risen with healing in my wings. Let me heal it. Let me heal your pain. Once I've healed your pain, there'll be nothing left of you. In case you don't know where I'm going to with this this morning, people, we're going to days of incredible opportunity for the body of Jesus Christ. And every morning, after having prayed the Lord's Prayer before I break bread, I pray for the salvation of Israel. God's not going to move until they wake up. It's their time to wake up now, the whole nation of Israel all across the world. And then, then I pray for the persecuted church. People that right now are laying their lives down for the cause of the gospel. And I pray that God justify their shed blood. They understand something about the cross and the glory of identifying with the cross. And they don't understand our pain. They don't understand that we sit around being offended and afraid, afraid we're going to lose our jobs, afraid that somebody's going to be, there's going to be misunderstanding or tension. When I say, I just want to announce people that if there's going to be gossip about my friends in church or my pastor, uh, I won't be part of this because I just want you to know that I won't do that about your imam or <laughs> 
or about your people. Can I just ask for some respect because it offends me? I'm not cross with anybody. I just, I'm just putting it out there. But can I tell you that that's, that's not even the big one? It's when we stand up and say, people, uh, George over there, I, I heard you using the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain. And I cannot tell you what that does to me. Because I can tell you, George, you will not do that to Allah or to Muhammad. And I want to ask you why not. Why Christ? Why not Krishna or Buddha? Why be so disrespectful? What has he done to you? Believers don't do that anymore. <laughs> We're afraid of confrontation. We're afraid. And we're not peacemakers. God is about to remove every shred of fear from us. And it's, it's layers. It's like an onion, an artichoke. You're just taking it off layer by layer. And what we're so good at is to say all the nevers. We make our vows to the Lord. God, I'll never go there. God, I'll never do that. God, you can't ever ask me to do that. And, and can I tell you prophetically? Because this is, this is a polemic message. It's confrontational. That will stop. We will stop decreeing. We will stop dictating. And, and we'll come to God before the cross and we'll just give him blank checks every day. Say, God, whatever, wherever, however. And God, never say never. I'll never say never to you. God, just as long as I can hear you. Just as long as I understand you. Just as long as I fully know what you want. And God, I will not move until I know exactly what you want. Because I want to please you. In a very specific way, I want to please you. God, the best I can do with my life is to give everything to you. Every day. then we can start talking about miracles and all kinds of things but we won't have a need to brag and I just want to put the word out there I'll speak to the students when I see them again if I see anybody in our ranks crossing the line on social media I correct you publicly I've started doing that and I rebuke you publicly I used to inbox people and ask them what's going on in your life I don't do that anymore we don't have time for that anymore and my challenge is simple. Are you standing for Christ or what? If you're going to stand for Christ, do it in public. Do it now, yeah. I'm not throwing weight around. I'm just standing for Jesus. I want to know if you are too. We're about to see God. And I'm going to be preaching on this soon. We need to have an expectation of how God's going to move supernaturally. There's a blueprint in Scripture. I'm going to start unpacking it for you. God is about to show up. And we've come to days and times, we've been through centuries, especially the last century, where men have stood with balded fists at God, starting with Darwin and the Marxists some century and a half ago, almost now, and said, we will say to you that you don't exist. But now it's gone further. Now men aren't raising fists to God anymore. Now men are raising middle finger to God. Adele at a concert in Denmark just a while ago talks about her idol worshipping of Beyonce and she's got Beyonce on the screen 
And then she invokes the name of Je- the Lord Jesus Christ with the middle finger raised. And then she puts an expletive, the worst expletive, right in the middle of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the crowd erupts. In praise of Adele. Sons of God are going to stand up and begin to call down the power of God in ways that we have not seen people. God is about to restore the fear of God before the face of the nations of all humanity like we've not seen since Ananias and Sapphira and Herod dropping dead in public. God will not be mocked. Whatever mankind sows, he will reap. Sons of God will walk into the biggest chaos and begin to bring mercy and compassion at the same time. Stand up with polemic boldness and say to people why this is happening and what God is saying will interpret the power of God to people. We will do that because we'll hear clearly and accurately. And every time we speak, God will vindicate us. He will black back us up. I'm speaking to people in this room who have never had the joy of being nothing. But when you speak, God pitches and he backs you up with miracles and signs and wonders because of the depth of your humility. Humility brings healing to the conflict that all humans are suffering, full humans are suffering from. And humility is something that we bring to God. It's a gift we bring to God. It's not something he imposes on us. But it's something that we as modern people are wholly incapable of. This morning I want to invite you, come to God and say to God, I don't know how to humble myself. Do you know that there are people in this room who have never bowed the knee before God? Never. Can I tell you something worse? There are people in this room that have made inner vows in their heart to never bow the knee before God. Never. And then we wonder why Islam is taking on the world. doesn't matter how big or small you are, but when that God of Islam calls you, you bow face down before him five times every day. And then we have believers who have a problem just standing for five minutes in the presence of God because it's inconvenient, just because it's not something that you feel like doing. When the Holy Spirit says, bow down, you don't want to do it because it's beneath you. And and why, why is humility so important? Why is kneeling and bowing down so important? people because it's not nearly as painful as hanging on a cross and dying naked slashed to bits and when we're down there that's where we meet Christ our slain king let's bow our heads Father Jesus name God, you know, we're not here to give each other pep talks because this world is about to blow up and erupt. And all hell is to be unleashed upon mankind unless you intervene. God, this morning, 
we are just here to acknowledge your willingness to intervene and to save and restore and redeem because you still love mankind. You love us in South Africa. You love the redemptive word that you've spoken over this nation and you will perform it with us or without us. But God, this morning we confess the truth that we're not waiting for you. You're waiting for us. And God, this morning, I just want to speak on behalf of hearts here. God, your time of waiting is over. It's over. We are here. We are ready. And God, this morning, we thank you that you bring us to this wonderful revelation that we are nothing. And in that nothingness, you receive us. And you breathe into us and breathe upon us and we become like the upper room people to transform and to change the world, to change history. And Father, we think of our, our brothers in Germany, Lord, that have taken to the streets and they're baptizing hundreds, hundreds of Germans and Muslims daily where the Reformation has already started. I thank you for what you've started doing in England just this week, Lord. We've pulled up the big handbrake, starting pulling up the handbrake you're going to be doing all across the nations, even in our nation. You're about to intervene mightily, powerfully, dramatically, and it's going to freak a lot of people out. But we will know it's your hand. And it's very imminent. But it's going to be very disturbing. Because it's the best you can do right now. But we thank you that you're about to bring South Africa to a standstill so we can start all over. Thank you, God. But Father, this morning... You're calling a commitment to sonship. And we hear your voice. And I, I want to pray, Father God, for those with pain this morning. And I th- want to thank you, Lord, that there's no condemnation for us in our pain. You love us in our pain and you call us from our pain. And I, I pray for a freedom for us to just own that pain so we can bring it to you. We are, we're in heavy laden. Lord, we want your Sabbath rest. Jesus' name. As the band begins to minister again, if the Lord is speaking to you, just come forward. We're going we're gonna to anoint you. We're going to pray with you quickly. I'm on a mission this morning. God is lighting fires collectively, individually. It's time, people. It's time. It's our time. Darkness is covering the earth and gross darkness to people. That's why it's our time now to arise and shine For our light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon us. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the next little while. Kings are about to come to our light and queens to the brightness of our rising. We're about to see denominations and corporations split as leadership divide as to who would follow God and who would not. Because of the attractional virtue that the body of Christ is about to wield all across the earth. It's happening now. But it's about an intentional commitment to arise, to shine in the power of the Holy Spirit. If God is speaking to you this morning, I want you to take that stand. And I want you to say to God, God, I give you the power to define our relationship. And I will not do that ever again. You call me son, I call you Father. And I want to say to women, drop your feminism this morning and embrace the language of Christ. Say no this morning. 
to Baal and his cohort who's come to rule the world. I'll talk about that next time. But I figured out what the, what the change in the spirit realm is. Baal has come to take over in this world. And Asherah, who's the goddess of feminism, is reigning along with him. And women, you need to break away from that allegiance. You cannot serve her in Christ. That's why the language of scripture will remain patriarchal. Because that's what it's about. It's about the love of the Father. It's about sonship. And God will not change his semantic for your religion. You must choose who you want to serve. Believers, it's about choosing Christ above the prevailing order. The Lord is speaking to you this morning. Do come. Remember that our sermons are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.